Hello and welcome back to Movie Reviews Rising. This is episode 4. It's been a while coming. That's because we've been in this Oscars thing. And it's interesting to me. Not everybody can see everything at the same time. I mean, if you're in the Academy, you can. And that's nice. And everybody's talking about all these movies and the general public gets to see them here and there when they can. And luckily these movies get rerun because of all their acclaim, which is great. So I've been kind of like, I don't know, playing, you know, the Monopoly game, piecing together which of these Oscar, you know, worthy films are fun to talk about. Some of them are so dry. Some of them are like the typical Oscar they look that way from afar, and as you approach, they continue to look that way. As you watch the film, that's all the movie is. So, man, it's hard to weed them out at first glance. You can't judge a book by its cover. So you go in to some of these movies, right? And that's what the bulk of this episode's probably going to be. It's just, <laughs> that's what it always was going to be. It's just a, like the heavy lifting of the Oscars seasons. That's cool. This is now past the Oscar seasons because uh, I dilly dally, but this, oh, that's also part of the way these movies come out, you know. And by the time Shape of Water won Best Picture, not everybody had still seen it, you know. Uh, same for Moonlight. Oh, but I'm sure everyone had already seen La La Land, of course, right? At that point, but but you know whatever. Anyway, so I guess I'll start with Shape of Water. This is by Guillermo del Toro, who is like, and he proved that we all believe in his fish people and their romantic lives. And no, Sally, he proves again, Sally Hawkins is somebody to watch. She's fantastic. Wordlessly as well. I fell in love with her, easily pulling off the Amelie job. Mm-hmm. The uh, AKA, uh, Shape of Water, AKA the Amelie job, right? That's what it is now. <laughs> he took it from everybody. He was like, Creature from the Black Lagoon. A little bit of that. A little bit of whatever. Sally Hawkins. Uh, Octavia Spencer. Michael Shannon. And that great twist on the genre with the, you know, monster theme. Uh, who's the real monster? There were some fun little things, though, that... As the movie played out, it was a little conventional, of course, and straightforward with with some of the notes that it was hitting. And after the artist came out, you know, great homage to movies. It's like, but that's it. That's the whole movie. It's just a simple movies are fantastic, and they and they are. And this movie was that, and I watched it with that in mind. I really enjoyed it because it was that movie mixed with Creature from the Black Lagoon. I like the mix of those two things. So, obviously, yeah, this was just an easy sell for me from the get-go. I saw the trailer for Shape of Water, and I was really excited for it. Could see enough of, you know, where Michael Shannon was going to go with that. Right there, in the way they marketed it, at least. Which I was looking forward to. And... You know, it was just solid shot in Toronto with the great effects at a low, low price of 19400000 
dollars, and that's Guillermo, because well, we'll save Black Panther for after my little horror section here. But that movie clocks in at two hundred million dollars. <laughs> so you know, two hundred million versus nineteen is just like where's the money go? <laughs> you always wonder. But, you know, that's pretty obvious. So sticking with the horror for a moment, we're talking about Veronica. Veronica. That's how they said it in the movie, because she was flipping out and they're like, Veronica. And, you know, 2017 uh, Paco Plaza uh, starring Sandra Escanciana. And they're just fun names to say. Uh, the Paco directed Wreck. That's a big deal. And so we watched this film and it's very good uh, to a point. I mean, I think I think if I could compare it to a film relatively, it would be uh, under the shadow is my comparison. And I think it's pretty cool uh, that film because, well, I, you know, I got to get into that whole movie. It's been a minute since I've seen it. But in under the shadow, there are similar elements and you can watch there's like things that play off the TV there's this strange tone uh playing against the characters sometimes it's set in an apartment complex so it feels kind of modern for a haunting tale just like this one this is set in uh, Madrid 1991 June i like how specific that is it tells you a lot about the movie already and it's very spanish and it has Spanish rock in it from the era, which is very cool, because now I got to listen to some Heroes del Silencio, who are very worth listening to. Why not? They're very good. They're cool. I like it. I don't know what they're saying. I like it a lot. Um, Veronica is worth a watch. Veronica! Um, she dabbles with the occult. You know, she shouldn't be doing that shit. And it's based on some urban legend thing that may have happened or something based on Ouija boards, which is always cool. The movie has her siblings, her younger siblings are played well, so there's like this whole like posse that they're they are the whole time. And they're fun to watch as a as a unit. That's the thing that she plays well and, and the whole team works well. And these are not actors you're gonna see popping up all over. These are Spanish actors doing this movie and you know, so unknowns. And they get a great performance out of them. Uh, Baco does. And they pretty much hold on to the movie. And then the ending, it feels there's just a lot of... Slight spoiler here, because there's these repeating visions that are not a part of you know reality in the story. And that happened again in Super Dark Times, which I covered in episode one. It, those dreams and visions kind of took me out because I feel like we could have spent more time in the real world kind of getting to know these characters even better. But of course, it's a visual medium and you want to have these standout sequences. The only problem is some of the best standout moments in horror films are just not re in the actual reality of the movie. There's some dream sequence where a spider drops into somebody's mouth. And they wake up and it's over. And that's in the trailer. So it's just a trade-off you see a lot of times in horror films. That I think comes sometimes at the cost of the story. 
I'd rather see these characters. Anyway, they're there. They're really good characters. So there's more to dig into, I think, than this movie uh, did. I kind of even like more of the detective character or some just other stuff that could have maybe developed rather than the CGI monstery stuff near the end. So that's Veronica. Uh, worth looking at. Next up, we got another movie that uh, was covered on Trick or Treat Radio podcast, which I'm a big fan of. And they kind of hit me to Veronica and Hellraiser Judgment. The budget of 350000 Um <laughs> This movie, it's a movie, people. It's not possible anymore to impress anybody with saying, this is on 666 Ludovico Street. AKA, you saw Clockwork Orange, so did we. I don't care. If you, I bet you saw. Isn't it mandatory? How are you getting by making movies if you haven't watched Stanley Kubrick's films, huh? What are you, okay, thank you. 666 Ludovico. What, could you try a little harder? Maybe? No? No? CRM won't afford nothing? additional layers maybe because Kubrick ain't stopping at one measly referent point you know what I'm saying he'll draw you a map and shit so 666 it doesn't mean anything damn it but there's this torture element there's a 7 element there's a saw element it's not any of those things just like how saw does not have a good detective element to it it's just boring filler this didn't even have that it had less than so many movies but that's the point trying to make a cheap hellraiser movie i watched this so i'll watch the next one the ending kind of okay cliffhanger so check that out you know uh check that very sliver of an idea of an ending because the ending it's like a an idea for the sequel of course so yeah that sometimes is the best part of a, a straight to video horror film that you're just trying to make to keep the copyright sure so what can you expect some of the Cenobites really didn't work in it and one of them was just a big fat guy in a coat in a suit coat whatever you know big fat guy hairy guy gross guy like okay but that's not scary and a lot of the victims deserve it. So that's not, who am I getting? Am I, am I sympathizing? No. Am I afraid? Not really. These guys are kind of goofy. You know, sometimes, and I don't know what happened when just super fat guys are scary. <laughs> you know, and he was at a 90s, like Silent Hill holdover somehow, like, or old guys are scary, I guess, like. Stick with Cenobites, right? Like, I thought a picture in my head of, like, Cenobites. Pinhead being one good starting example. Who decreases in value more and more with different portrayals. And this one is giving so little to do. Hide him in the corner. Like, Darth Vader. What do we do? You know, some bullshit. He's not Darth Vader exactly, I don't think. Hellraiser Judgment. Harsh judgment. Man, I can't. It's goofy. There's some parts in it, too, where you're like, there's some exploitative flesh in the film. 
but you're like, damn, this is shot exactly <laughs> so exploitative and pointless. Um, but it is there. So there's that part where it's like, okay, it has, <laughs> but it's so over the top. I couldn't enjoy it. It's not my type of, um, stylish, not my type of style. I would say definitely because the look of the movie clashes with some of the tone. Are you going for that fun exploitation? Or are you going for this seven gritty, but for what? Just for, for the mediocre kind of a detective story? It's just not satisfying because it's pulling from so many different things and it's a mess. As one would anticipate. That's cool. Because we're all rooting for Hellraiser. Love Clive Barker. And I love the silliness of it too. But it's like the people who make the movies have never read any of those comic books that came out. Because they're pretty cool. With the artwork and all that stuff. They have stories in those comics you could use. But let's do this thing where... As they said on Trick or Treat, Radio Pinhead lives in a farmhouse. Okay. It's basically the same. Yes. So there's that. That's the budget. $350,000. Okay. (laughs) Then we got Unsane, which you saw recently uh, by Steven Soderbergh. And he shot this on an iPhone 7 Plus with Claire Foy. Uh, in it, and Jay Farrow, uh, and a cameo by, spoiler, I won't get into that, because you gotta go see this, I'm surprised that this is in the theater, shot on an iPhone, when, you know, all the international movie rights for Alex Garland's Annihilation is going, you know, to Netflix, yet Soderbergh can make a film on an iPhone, and that's, I don't know, it seems to be getting a theatrical release. So it's interesting to go see a film like that. And it is an experiment. It feels like it feels like a B movie. It's pretty hilarious. <laughs> the opening credits to the end credits. And um you you look at some of these credits at the end and you know the editor is Steven Soderbergh under some fake woman's name. Uh the cinematographer is of course Steven Soderbergh under somebody else's name. So he's got his thumbprint all over this and it it feels it's pretty wild um, watching Claire Foy navigate the film. And I think that's kind of the splitting thing is if you really kind of buy into what she's doing or if you're going against what she's doing. And I I pretty for the most part went for it. Um, I feel like you could easily watch Unsane Soderbergh's Unsane at least twice. Uh, just to pick up on certain things he seemed to be dropping, uh, which is nice. It's not like a movie you would want to do that. I'm just saying you could do that, which is cool. It has that layer. That's what, you know, an additional thing. That's nice. Uh, so yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting for Soderbergh to do. Throw out another movie. Don't, don't retire. So yeah, that's just a quick uh, horror section there. <laughs> Gotta get to that. That's very important right up front. Uh, there's also the Black Panther, the looming Black Panther in the room, and you know Rachel Morrison doing that cinematography thing. Ludwig Göransson on the composer side, and then of course you have to give 
uh, respect to uh, the man Ryan Coogler and you know Chadwick Boseman, Michael uh, B. Jordan, Martin Freeman, Letitia Wright, Ashuri, Angela Bassett, Forrest Whitaker, Andy Serkis, Isa DeBankhole. These guys are such a good cast, and it was so great to see them. You know, Forrest Whitaker still means a lot on screen. Uh, and I said to Ben Cole, he was in Jim Jarmusch's Limits of Control. So anytime I see that guy, I get excited. And his look alone just brought so much. So that is, And that said a lot about the film in general, because the, the, the attention to detail, the production design, the use of color, uh, the color palette, well, you know, everything about the movie visually worked as this futuristic bond uh, slash shaft kind of film. And, oh, I forgot to mention as well, uh, Denis Guerrero, who got to play, um, you know, the guard, uh, the shave head guard, was so fantastic in the film. Uh yeah, well, I mean, this movie, I mean, you can say all that stuff about it. Ryan Coogler needs to direct a Star Wars installment because this came out close to Star Wars, The Last Jedi, and to even think about that, I think, you know, the space <laughs> between that movie and this movie coming out, and this movie is so much, I think, ah, in general, just... <laughs> I would like to see him handle a Star Wars film, is all I'm saying, because there's some tonal problems i have with bits of last jedi when actually i think there are some really strong parts of last jedi as well but i find i'm only comparing the two because there were people who were really going crazy for um you know that last jedi (laughs) kool-aid and it's like black panther to me was it it is the real deal and it's not just then we get into the discussion about was it if a movie's making money to some people that's a positive or a negative to me it's a side note it's like oh and also the film financially did this well you know what that means culturally is different but it does mean something culturally when it has this staying power which it really has. So it has stuck. So it's like, to me, they're different things. And it's, I really am happy to reward a film that's really sticking as opposed to Last Jedi when we're all, I don't even know where we stand on it. <laughs> it's definitely going to depend on, I think, the next Star Wars film. In a, lot of, in a lot of ways, it's still a lot of responsibility still currently on J.J. Abrams' shoulders, right where it needs to be, right? All the responsibility in the world on that guy's back that's fine good for him he took it on he wanted to take on star trek and star wars so it's all in his lap again that's uh, funny see where star wars is gonna go it's always fun to think about that to <laughs> theorize and it's a franchise we're all super familiar with now at this point uh new and old uh expanded universes dual expanded universes <laughs> it feels like two different canons okay anyway enough star wars leaking into the black panther but there's also this thing where people are like i don't like superhero movies in general well again like the financial (laughs) note on the side 
proves the staying power aspect. And it's not just because it's making making money. I'm not happy. Okay, yay, give them all the money. It's just this people are going out of their way to see a movie. They're taking time out of their day to go to a theater and watch a movie. And secondary, I think, to that is it's it's a movie that's making money and then is it a superhero movie? Yes, but it's a cultural, you know, kind of touchstone in a lot of other ways that you're not really going to appreciate if you don't watch the film. You don't really get to unpack what other things it is aside from a superhero film because I think it's a comedy as well. It's a spy movie, which is different than a superhero film. And there are fans of spy films who are not fans of superhero films. So don't judge a book by its cover. What is that the most basic information to give someone? <laughs> but yet still, people are, the first thing they're saying, I don't like these super, I'm just burnt out on superhero movies. Okay, man. <laughs> I just hear that a lot. So I, it's part of, I hear a lot about Star Wars too. So that's why we're talking about it. Now that Black Panther was a huge, you know, meteorite that hit <laughs> the theaters and deal at the wake of this commercial kind of successful thing while all these less colorful say art movies are coming out so we can go back to those the you know real real oscar contenders i want to talk about if we're going to talk about them though we might as well talk about the best of them (laughs) which is call me by your name with a budget of four million euros and man uh the performance here we got oliver and elio mr perlman anella amarzia <laughs> that's the people in the movie it's it's a handful and they are in this fantastic homage to italy and the 80s and the early 80s though because it's just creeping in you see a poster on elio's wall 1980 it's the calendar and I was just like, oh, okay. And the music's kind of building into that. And I'm very excited to see where that's going to go. Because, of course, you hear that they're going to make more of these films. Uh, in the style of Truffaut's 400 Blows. Where he would go back to the same actor and film him more later in life. And continue the, the slice of life. Those movies are watchable. And beautiful. Uh, so the watching this movie was great to see on the big screen. All the visuals. Uh, that they're drawing from that are, are of Italy really that's what I'm talking about is this Italian approach which to me that's why it's going to be more impactful than Shape of Water and it didn't Shape of Water was so conventional in so many story ways also just a kind of like an action movie in a sense where it kept moving and you know very straightforward Shape of Water in a lot of ways but uh Obviously, Call Me While Your Name is like a bit of a scenic route. And it's just spot on with the energy and the, the performances. You're questioning it when you're, you know, maybe judging a book by its cover before you go into the film. Uh, I didn't, I didn't, because of the Oscar buzz, I was like, how is this movie going to be entertaining? Army Hammer, like, doesn't really <laughs> bring, I don't know, in a lot of. Michael Stuhlberg, of course, is a, oops, Michael Stuhlberg is, of course, dependable man, and was good in Shape of Water as well, 
but we were i was talking to some people about it and maybe there is too much leaned on that uh discussion that mr perlman has with elio later on like being yourself and whatnot that kind of goes on it is a bit heavy-handed but then you compare it to kevin costner in molly's game costner comes in and plays jessica chastain's father and it's this terrible dialogue scene that you know so much hinges on in the movie and he's like I don't know. I love you, daughter. It was like, what? Who cares? Costner? So, back to Call Me By Your Name, though. The soundtrack is fantastic. Got uh, Sue John Stevens on there, Ryuchi Sakamoto, Eric Satie, Giorgio Moroder, fuck yeah, Joe Esposito, you know what I'm saying? Um, So much style coming at you. With Call Me By Your Name, I liked it a lot. Because um, I'm going to see more, and that's what I want out of movies. It's more. Which, Black Panther, I want more. This one, I want more. Let's do this. Uh, Shape of Water. It's all fine. Wrapped up uh, Little Mermaid style, isn't it? But yeah, I might as well talk about Molly's Game, which is uh, Aaron Sorkin's story, directed by, written by Idris Elba, Jessica Chastain. Costner's in it. Sarah's in it. Michael Sarah's in this movie. That was surprising, right? You're like, what? Michael Sarah in this? Molly's game? What? I thought it does kind of play like an Aaron Sorkin parody of itself, especially because it's so long and has a lot of opportunities to do that. There's a, a spreadsheet joke in there. Like, that's not funny. I can tell a mile away a spreadsheet joke is not funny, but it's like totally perfect for Aaron Sorkin world. And I feel like there is a lot of time just being bought. And um, this is a good contrast, actually, to Margot Ropey's film, uh, Itonia, which I also am covering. <laughs> we'll get into that. And that one, you get a more... I, both performers are very good. Chastain in this is very strong, really watchable. And her scenes with Idris are too. I just think there's too many of them, really. And there's some cool visual things going on earlier in the film that kind of lose... The, it loses that momentum, although it retains its polish. It looks polished the whole time. And again, the music sounds kind of cool at first but then it kind of loses its polish it just feels more generic as it goes on uh the selections of music that are just constantly you know pumping in and actually i soundtrack didn't feel stale the whole run of the movie i think it's a tighter movie uh, more interesting it has its own problems of course and the comparisons really you know do end um but this is a Sorkin script, <laughs> and it's and it's fine to pass the time. I saw also Roman J. Israel Esquire, starring Denzel Washington, directed by uh, Dan Gilroy, I think, and written by. And that film is similar to this. You could put those movies on and just watch, like, the legal talk <laughs> go through you, and it just one of those talky movies it definitely a very yeah dialogue heavy of course um marathon and there's people who are very verbal people right are gonna want to <laughs> sit down with molly's game and 
Roman J. Israel Esquire, I think. And talk it out with these films. <laughs> There's meandering, long-winded films that do a lot of talking. But for other people, <laughs> it's probably not something you're going to want to rush out to. So consider it in the same group as Roman J. Israel. Is two writers I can respect who... I don't know what they're doing when they're directing certain movies like Molly's Game and Roman J. Israel Esquire. But they have top performers in them. Both have really great performances. Uh, but I think of these three, you know, character-driven uh, pieces, performance-driven, I would give it to Margot Robbie, of course. And her film, though. And I'm not sure how else you can display domestic abuse. Maybe there's too much joking and I Tonya about it because it has been, you know, I get criticized by you know people much more familiar with those things than I am and I don't it's it's troublesome but cuz you do lose just you lose respect for Sebastian Stan's character pretty early on and he comes back and there's moments where we're what, we're supposed to like this guy like no we don't like this guy <laughs> nobody really does the audience doesn't i think they've checked out Allison Janney's character though it's handled well enough it's edited well enough that you kind of dismiss it in a way and it is maybe where the comedy patches over a lot of that more um yeah, it's it's got the right music though it's got this <laughs> cool, you know, ice skating sequence with heart. And it was one of the better moments. It's kind of a fun movie to watch. Uh, a guilty pleasure for sure. I, Tonya. But yeah, those are kind of movies that kind of go together in a group <laughs> for me. So now I want to get into Darkest Hour. This is the historical part of the show, of course. <laughs> and the posts coming after this darkest hour part, but yeah. Gary Oldman, Winston Churchill, Kristen Scott Thomas, Clemmy, Ben Mendelssohn, King George. Alright, that's great. Um so thirty million dollars budget watching Gary Oldman in cool Winston Churchill makeup. I always like Winston Churchill for some reason. And his quotes, I quoted him in my film school documentary, Constructor. He says, we shape our buildings and uh, afterwards our buildings shape us. Which was appropriate for my documentary, experimental documentary on buildings and architecture, kind of. Um, so I always liked Winston Churchill, he's one of these guys. And of course I agree with... Um, uh, fighting against Germany in World War Two. That's a good choice. And that's what this movie hinges on. And it's like, you know, that's a good choice, right? You know, what if we didn't do that? Think about it. And he makes you think about it. Joe Wright directing this movie. He must want a knighthood so badly. Mr. Joe Wright. With his king's speech and his atonement. And his, come on. We all enjoy a good tracking shot, man. But... The way the camera's using this movie sometimes is really stretching the limits of like, here's a cheesy commercial Hallmark tracking shot that totally interrupts the movie. And there's some other strange choices in this movie. 
that kind of keep it from being perfect to me, but it is a film that I can see watching in class and in, in school and being caught up and feeling like I did something by watching this movie. No, I mean, I shed a little light on, I'm telling you like the wealth of your World War II knowledge is good to build up over time. So this would be appropriate to watch at any point. You can get a little insight into Churchill the man and the historical setting and the moment. And you have Dunkirk over there too, pulling the other end of it. So it's not bad watch, right? I mean, it's not. Um, so I understand the praise. Um, just still some really pushing it to the limits with the goofy camera work, to be honest. Uh, and what's cool about historical films, I was just thinking, you can't really spoil them, right? That's nice. So, The Post, starring Tom Hanks, Sarah Paulson, Bob Odenkirk, Tracy Letts, and then somebody playing Robert McNamara, I don't remember who, and Alison Breeze in this, and Carrie Coon. And David Cross, no, David Cross, (laughs) David Cross is in this, in a budget of $50 million, $20 more million in Darkest Hour. In Darkest Hour, you think is kind of like a war movie, but the post is about newspapers, and it's, you know, it moves, it's by Janusz Kaminski on the camera, got some John Williams pumping in the speakers, Uh, Michael Kahn editing, and... Of course, um, I just wanted to highlight the other people in the film, of course, because there is Meryl Streep is central. Uh, so there are some surprising cameos that pop up in the post and it's, you know, basically fine to watch them kind of like how I felt when I watched Captain, uh, I can't remember it off the top of my head, but Captain whatever with, um. Tom Hanks. It was like pretty straightforward. Captain Phillips. I was like, okay, he is in a hostage situation and he got out. I'm glad, you know, I'm glad the post did what it did. I'm glad Meryl Streep listened to people, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> or didn't listen to people. Ha ha. I like that. She did both. Perhaps it was very good. Again, this is a movie you can watch in school and be like, hell yeah. The free press. Hell yeah. Any time of day you put it with a Ken Burns film. It'd be great. So, that would be cool. I really want Ken Burns to make, like, a normal movie, too, by the way. Like, just how Werner Herzog can switch back between documentary and normal movies. Like, I'd like to see Ken Burns do something like The Post or, or you know, he can't do Darkest Hour because he's not trying to get a knighthood. But is Spielberg trying to get a knighthood for America started by doing The Post? He's done a lot of work already, and it feels like The Post is extra credit. I actually feel like he could step aside and just produce the post for some other person to direct because I don't know why it necessarily needs his particular thing. But I'll admit right now, I have to still see Munich and Lincoln, okay? So that's what I'm going to probably try to do for the next show. <laughs> Finally, cover a gap, you know? Have, a, have, have some old ones thrown into the mix again and maybe watch those two films because I, I need to <laughs> at some point. Watch those two movies. And speaking of Daniel Day-Lewis, I did see the Phantom Thread. I don't know what the haters are saying. You know, they don't like it. Okay, fine. You know, I don't want to spoil Phantom Thread. I'm not gonna... (laughs) It's so mysterious. That trailer was all you needed. That trailer was epic. I remember when it would come on in the theater, people were just like, whatever the fuck that is. I'm watching that movie. 
with that score. It's Daniel Day-Lewis, you know, and doing it with Paul Thomas Anderson. And I like the mystique around kind of how Paul Thomas Anderson doesn't do a movie every so often. You know, that's pretty special. You know, I'm down. I'm down with Daniel Day in this one. I had, did not have a problem with it. I thought it does match up with the master and there will be blood in terms of giving us a pretty rounded character in a world. Uh, Vicky Creeps. Creeps? I don't know how to say her last name. And Leslie Manville, though. I'm already a fan of Leslie Manville because of Mike Lee and her performance in Another Year. So as a Mike Lee film, Phantom Thread's pretty good. Hmm? That's what I think. And yeah, again, can't spoil it. That one's not a historical one. This is not the historical section anymore, though. That was just a Phantom Thread. Now I can talk about uh spoiler coming up annihilation by alex garland this movie i kind of do there's just no way to talk about annihilation other than saying the whole thing's a spoiler uh, it's a pretty fun little puzzle movie um that's you know that you kind of have to jump into uh but there are aspects of it that I will say I have to talk about. And those are the same things that there were things that bothered me about Ex Machina, Alex Garland's previous work that he wrote and directed, where I felt that um, Domhnall Gleeson's character was too naive for the situation. Because there's all these red flags, okay, to spoil, in a way, Ex Machina, to talk about Ex Machina. Uh I just, but that is, that has changed. So the spoiler for moving forward with Annihilation is these characters are, are not at all naive. <laughs> they are apt and they're all women too. It's pretty cool. Uh, Natalie Portman is the leader and she, there's just nothing standing in her way. There's nothing standing in, um, um, Jennifer Jason Lee, Gina Rodriguez and Tessa Thompson. Uh, they're doing exactly what they want to do. And Oscar Isaac is in here as the spine of this movie. You'd think maybe he's being put in a corner like uh, Pinhead and Hellraiser. But I think Oscar Isaac is the beating heart behind a lot of it. And when you get back to him and his face and what he's he's doing. Uh, so I thought Annihilation was brilliant. I don't know what why they would apparently want him to change the ending. Producers wanting him to change the ending or the studio wanting him to change the ending. I don't know what other ending, what happy, I don't know, you know, quote happy. That's how Hollywood is, right? They want it straightforward, not necessarily even happy, but more just boxed in, I guess. Something the audience clearly, I don't know. Um, they sold the international rights for this film to Netflix, so they clearly thought they're, I think, something to offload, maybe. Or that's just the way it works. Out. I don't. Know. I don't. I, I heard it was about the ending. So, so mm, this is a cool movie to watch in the theater. I'll tell you that much. Then I I did end up picking up the soundtrack. So uh, it was gave me a lot to think about. Um, I like Alex Garland's work. I'd like to read The Beach at some point. I have read Coma by Alex Garland now at this point. So that's nice. Uh, just to get. 
you know, an idea of the guy's work. I find him pretty interesting uh, person to follow because I was a big Danny Boyle fan anyway. So yeah, that's Annihilation. A crazy, crazy, I, I call it the, if the boat ride in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory were a whole movie, it would be Annihilation. Seriously. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, um, that's what I think about that movie. So yeah, that, thanks for tuning in. And I'll try to be more, hopefully more regular. Uh, and it does have a lot to do with the theater and get into it and also getting a group, good group of movies to really talk about because I like how certain films really will kind of relate to one another in, in weird ways uh, that I don't even know about until I watch them. So I'll talk to you next time. Adios and uh, buenas tardes, etc. Uh, bye. <laughs>